Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Testament book of Esther and chapter number 9. We've been trudging through. Last, next week, Lord willing, we'll be finishing up the book of Esther. Right now, as we're at the tail end, we're getting to see the end of the story. And I've been looking forward to this one because this, we get to see some of the effects of what's going on. Remember, the whole book of Esther is that even though God's name is not mentioned in this book, we clearly see His hand all throughout this book. This book shows us right where we live at. You know, we don't hear voices from heaven as we sit today. We're not seeing brand new uh, revelations of Scripture. We don't have Old Testament prophets that are bringing down miracles. But we still have a God who's in control. We have a God who still hears and answers prayer. We have a God that even though we may get in circumstances that seem to be bleak, that seem to be no way out, we still have a God who's working in the background, moving the pieces about. And right at the last minute, He'll show Himself real and reveal what He's doing. And we say, wow, I didn't even know you were doing this. I didn't even know. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to be an encouragement to you. And this last part, the book of Esther, chapter number 9. The book of Esther, chapter number 9. And instead of reading the entire chapter this time, let's start at verse number 20. The book of Esther, chapter number 9, starting at verse number 20. It says in the book of Esther, chapter number 9, and verse number 20, And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews that were in the provinces of the king of Hasseris, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the fourteenth day of the month Adar, and the fifteenth month of the same yearly. And as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which was was turned unto them from sorrow to joy, and from mourning un into a good day, that they should make them days of fasting and joy, of sending portions one to another, and gifts to the poor. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun, as Mordecai had written unto them. Because Haman the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them, and to cast purr, that is, the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that this wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should be returned upon his own head, that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Wherefore they call these days Purim, after the name of Pur. Therefore, for all the words of this letter and of that which they have seen concerning this matter and which had come unto them, the Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them 
so as it should not fail that they would keep these two days according to their writing, according to their appointed time every year, and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, and that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them that perish from their seed. And Esther the queen, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew wrote all, with all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. And he sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim in the times appointed according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen hath enjoyed them, enjoined them, and they had decreed for themselves and for their seas the matters of the fasting and their cry. And with the Lord's help, I'd like for you to mark a phrase that's found. <clears throat> and for once, I could not find him, but you could look at verse 31 and mark this phrase to confirm the days of Purim. Confirm the days of Purim. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to preach to you about matters of Purim. Matters of Purim. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being God. And as we come up to you seeking your face, asking for your help, your Holy Spirit, your, your power, your devising, we're asking, Lord, that you would show yourself real tonight. That you would reveal to someone your plan of what you've been doing, how you've been working. That today would be an encouragement. I understand there are people with family problems. There are people with financial problems. There are people with health problems. There are some people with all kinds of things that are going on. But Lord, let us see tonight. Lord, reveal, pull back the veil and let us see that you're working in the se behind the scenes. You're working backstage. You're moving the pieces around and that you've got something in mind for the things that we're going through and that you're doing it in such a way that you get such glory, such honor from it. And Lord, I need your help. So the best that I know how, I ask that you that I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. You get your own work accomplished today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today as we talk, Lord willing, and preach from the Word of God about the manners of Purim, Purim is a celebration that the Jews celebrate and honor every year. How many of you have ever heard of Purim? This is still a couple people. This is a holiday that the Jewish people celebrate every year. This is a very important holiday for them. Days of Purim. If I remember right in my calendar, I think March the 3rd this year. I may be wrong. Maybe it's March 23rd. But somewhere in the area of March this year is Purim for the Jewish people. They're going to be celebrating in the month of March this holiday that we found established in the book of Esther. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to see a little bit about this Purim. We want to see first the events of Purim. And we want to see about the celebrations of Purim. And some of the effects all throughout history about this Purim. We want to see that God has revealed Himself in a special way. First of all, let's look at the events of Purim. The events of Purim. 
And the passage we read pretty much recounts the the story of Esther. If you might remember the story of Esther, that Haman had devised a wicked plan to kill the Jewish people. That literally he devised an official holiday, kill the Judae. We're making an official kill the Judae. And in order for him to figure out what day to pick, you know, some people today, we may have thrown darts at a calendar or something. What they did is they cast lots. Uh, they figured if they cast lots, the, the gods of the, the, the sticks would tell them uh, what day certain events would come up. And so the word per, P-U-R, literally means lots. And that's how they had determined what day it was going to be. They cast lots and woohoo! It came up on this day, the, th- the 14th day of Adar. This is official kill the Judae. And if you might remember that... that Haman had the authority of the king. And he wrote letters all throughout the Persian Empire stating that that on official kill the Judae, that you were to kill as many Jewish people as possible. And to sweeten the pot that whatever those Jewish people owned, if you killed them, you can take their property, their land, their cattle, their everything, their wealth. You could take it all. And so the Jewish people, because it came down from the king, were afraid of, for their lives. They were in a position of helplessness. How in the world are we going to get out of this? How in the world? The government is against us. They're rounding us up. It's, it's, it's extermination for the Jews. And we understand that God was moving. That God was working. And that through the events, it came up that Haman's order was reversed. And Haman and his ten sons were hung. And as official kill the Judea was approaching, Mordecai, with the authority of the king, wrote a second law that said, yes, we have official kill the Judea, but that same day the Jewish people are allowed to defend themselves. And they have the authority of the crown to kill anyone that threatens them. And they did. All throughout the Persian Empire, 75,000 of the Jewish enemies died that day. And the Jewish people had rest. They had peace. They had a time where, yes, it feels good. And many of them celebrated. Many of them threw feast. Many of them said, yes, look at what God did. And they were a thankful people. Now Mordecai, as he wrote later on, and he's trying to give God the glory. And he says, we need to take time again to reflect On God's deliverance. And so every year, let's celebrate this Purim. This days where God delivered us. And so year after year, we would like for you to remember this feast. And he gave some instructions on how this holiday was to be organized and how it was to be run. And throughout the history, this this celebration had developed into a holiday for the Jewish people all around the world. And it is a very important holiday. Maybe I could not only talk about the events of Purim, but let's explore the celebration of Purim. How do they celebrate Purim? Well, there are four things, um, Mishnahs or obligations that that day is supposed to hold. The first thing is the public reading of the book of Esther. That in the to celebrate Mishnah, they would do a public reading 
of the book of Esther. We'll talk more about these in detail. The second thing is they had food gifts they would give to friends. The third thing is that they had to give charity to the poor. And the fourth thing, they had to eat a festive meal. They had a special feast they would set aside. Now let's look at these specifically. Now the first thing they would do, the biggest thing they would do in order to honor the Purim is they would have two readings of the entire book of Esther. There's ten chapters in the book of Esther. And so what they would do is that on Purim Eve, everyone would gather together in a synagogue or in a public place or a special meeting. And what they would do is they would start from Esther chapter 1, verse 1, and they would read the entire book. Now, some of the um, selective readings, they would even throw in some verses from from Lamentations. Lamentations is a very mournful, wailful, sad book. And it would kind of describe how the Jewish people felt so helpless. But they would have a public interactive reading of the book of Esther. And then the next morning, they would gather together and they would read the book of Esther again. But they would also do some interesting things. For example, let me tell you some of these interesting things, is that, like I said, it was going to be interactive. So there were different parts in the book of Esther where they would have a narrator, he would be reading everything, uh, reading it line upon line, and there were certain parts where the audience would start reading with him. So they would read a couple verses together, and they knew which verses to read, and then they would sound off, and then the narrator would continue to read, and then they would get to a different passage, and then all the audience would participate. Another interesting thing that that had to be done is if you wouldn't mind and look in Esther chapter 9 and verse 7 through 9. Esther chapter 9, starting at verse 7. Now, these are some big, long names. Aren't you glad you're in English now instead of Persian? If you ever need a name to name one of your kids or your grandkids, here's some names maybe you could throw out. Verse number 7. And Parsha Dantha and Daphon. And Aspatha, and Poratha, and Adela, Adelaia, and Ardatha, and Parmishta, and Arisha, or Arishai, and Ardei, and woohoo, Vayazantha, Vayazantha. Now these are the ten sons of Haman. And these ten sons were hung by the neck and on the gallows in retribution for what Haman did, that his crimes went upon his sons. And his sons were hung as a retaliation. They had, they had worked with together. If you remember a couple chapters earlier, that he as a whole family, he gathered his family together and was saying how much he hated Mordecai. They actually participated. Now, those are some pretty hard names to say, right? Any of you want to try to stand up and try to... Read these out loud for me? No. Well, what they would do during the public uh, readings of Esther is that when they would get to these ten names of Haman, they were only allowed to take one breath. Or they had to say this entire thing in one breath. All ten names, they had to do it in one single breath because all Haman's sons uh, perished together and they wanted to get that one breath to include all these names of the people that perished all at once. Uh, It's something different, but it's something, uh, just one of those little tidbits, gee whiz information, it doesn't do anything for invitation. 
But it's just something interesting. Uh, next time you read through the book of Esther, I want you to think about that. Trying to say all those names at one breath and trying to get it all right. That would take some practice. But another thing the kids would like this is we understand who was the bad guy in this story. Haman. Now, Haman's name, because it was so despised, what they would literally do is that the children, or actually everyone, what they would do is they would write Haman's name on the bottom of their shoe. And what they would do is that when they were doing the public reading of the book of Esther, when they got to Haman's name, everyone would pound! Pound out their name. So when the narrator would start reading and get to Haman, everyone would pound and so you couldn't hear his name spoken out loud. Sometimes they would actually bring some, uh, some, uh, a special kind of Jewish noisemaker. It goes around, but it makes a, a pounding sound as it goes around like wood hitting wood. And so they would uh, spin it around as Haman's name's getting ready to come out. He'd have some people stomping and then you had some people going just to drown out Haman's name. But it's something they do in the Purim festivals, even in the Jewish tabernacle or synagogue down here, that when they do Purim, as if they were to follow the rules, as they would read the book out loud, you would hear people make it all kinds of noise. It's kind of interesting, right? But it was just to kind of publicly just wipe out, blot out Haman's name from being heard. Now, another thing that they would do during these times... <clears throat> is, if you wouldn't mind, looking at Esther chapter 9 and verse 22. In Esther chapter 9 and verse 22, Mordecai is writing this letter to the Jewish people, and he's giving specific instructions on how to observe this holiday. Look at verse 22 again. As the days wherein Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy, and from mourning into a good day, that they should make themselves days of feasting and joy, and send portions one to another, and gifts to the poor. Now we see that there's two things mentioned, that they give gifts to their friends, and then also give gifts to the poor. Now each adult, what they would do is they would would give two different types of food or a food basket to their friends. It would be uh, our equivalent of Christmas, but they would give food. All right, so if you're a good friend of mine, what I would do is I would wrap up two different types of baskets of food and I would give it to you. And if I liked you, I'd give you two different baskets of food and I would give it to you. That was part of their tradition. And uh, in addition to the giving to the food, they also had to give a charitable gift that they had to give equivalent to a regular size meal or the money equivalent, and they had to give it to the poor. And what as things develop, usually people would give it to the synagogue, and then the synagogue would spread it out. And everyone was expected to give during the days of Purim. Even if you were a charity case, the only way you survived was off charity, you were expected to give to this event, even if you were going to be getting something here as, as you were the poor person that was going to be given. But everyone was required to give if you were going to be part of the holiday to show that your thankfulness, this was part of an order that Mordecai gave and it got, became part of scripture, by the way, that was scripture. And so the Jewish people, in order to follow scripture, they would give a basket to their friends 
then they would give equivalent money to a good sized meal or to a regular sized meal and they would give it and to the poor and it would be distributed out to the poor that's how they do it now if they go to the synagogue during the days of Purim maybe we should all show up right but they would give their Purim offerings and then that same time they would start distributing to anyone that was willing to humble themselves and say hey I need help and that's how they would pass it out that was part of their holiday tradition Now, something else, another custom that kind of developed during the days of Purim, it wasn't originally part of it, but it developed later on in the 500, uh, through the Middle Ages, was a masquerade. And what they would do is that instead of showing up and giving someone a food basket and say, hey, you know what, I know who gave it to me, they would all dress up in costume and masquerade together and then give gifts The reason why, and the the logic, and again it fits with the book, is that because we did not see God specifically moving and working. And so they would dress up in costume to have a little bit anonymity, so that way someone could feel more free. If I knew this person had a specific need, I could give them a little bit more without embarrassing them or revealing myself. Because, again, they're trying to show a picture that God is moving in the background. We, see, we don't see His name mentioned, but we see His hand and we clearly see what He is doing. And so, again, this is just a little bit of the holiday of Purim and how they celebrate. We need to know about these things because Purim is a very important Jewish holiday. And it's very important to the Jewish culture. Now, beyond this... We see that all throughout history, there's echoes of Purim. Purim became such a a rallying point for the Jewish people that God seemed to do specific things on the day of Purim. And the Gentile people who hated the Jewish people knew it. For example, how many of you heard of World War II? I'm trying to make sure you're awake. Good, good. Do you know that Hitler banned the observance of Purim? And in 1944, Hitler said in a speech that that if the Nazis were defeated, the Jews would celebrate a second Purim. That the Jewish people would gladly massacre all of us, just like they killed the 75,000 Persians. You know, I'm going to take a quick side thing. Isn't it a shame that Hitler knows more scripture than the average Christian? That's a shame. I mean, Hitler knew about Purim. He knew about this feast. He knew everything that was going on. Yet the average Christian today doesn't know anything about the book of Esther or the results of it. That's a scary thing. All right. Anyways, going back. Another person who worked right beside Hitler, in fact, he was hung at the Nuremberg trials, was Julius Strecker. Julius Strecker surmised that, that just as the Jews butchered 75,000 Persians in one night, the Jews would institute a second Purim festival in Germany if the, Jew, or if the Germans happened to fail in their quest. On Purim 1942, ten Jews were hung by the Nazis in retaliation for the ten sons of Haman that were hung. Remember, that's why I took time to talk to you about it because it was leading into it. The, Hitler and his, his cronies said, hey, hey, they hung these, these sons of Haman. Haman was a good guy because he hated Jews. And now we're going to hang ten Jews in front of everyone in retaliation for revenge of what they did to Haman and his sons. The next year in 1943, ten Jews were shot 
in the Jewish ghettos and retaliation and remembrance of Purim by the Nazis. And that same year, a hundred Jewish doctors and families were shot during the celebration of Purim. Now, seconds before Julius Strecher was hanged after the Nuremberg trials, where he shouted out, Purim! Uh, Purim Fest! 1946! He said, I'm dying because the Jews are once again celebrating Purim, that their God has delivered them once again. Isn't that amazing? That all throughout history, now, not only the Nazis, but even the worst villain to the Jewish people. We hear a lot about the 8 million Jewish people who were killed during the Holocaust. Do you know that Joseph Stalin killed even more Jews than that? And we don't hear that too often. Joseph Stalin had originally was hailed as the savior of the Jewish people. Right after World War II, remember, all the Jewish people are in these ghettos. They're in the consecration camps. And as the Russians are going through Germany and through the German-occupied lands in Eastern Europe, they're actually freeing the Jewish people from the consecration camps. And so the people in Eastern Germany, the Jewish people, said, Yay! The Russians are our heroes! They saved us! They freed us! And Joseph Stalin, even though he hated Jewish people, he wrote a paper in 1917 talking about how Jewish, the Jewish people needed to be separated from the Bolshevik rebellion. He hated the Jewish people, but he left it there because he wanted to keep power. He even supported for a while the organization of the Jewish state of Israel in 1947-1948. Now, when the Cold War began, guess who Israelites decided to back? The Western world and not the Russians. Because of that, Stalin became very agitated and grew a more of a hatred towards the Jewish people. He got convinced that all doctors were Jews and they were trying to kill him. And so for the rest of his life, he refused to be seen by a doctor. He'd only be seen by veterinarians because he was afraid the, Jew, the doctors were Jews and they were going to kill him. Towards the last years of his life in 1942, or 1952, he, became, he began to do all kinds of speeches uh, declaring that the Jewish people needed to be arrested. He literally announced in 1952, Every Jewish nationalist is an agent of the American Intelligence Service. Jewish nationalists think that their nation was saved by the USA. They think they're indebted to the Americans. Among doctors, there are many Jewish nationalists. In 1953, Stalin uncovered a plot called the Doctor's Plot, where the doctors in the USSR were not only trying to assassinate him, but they were also trying to assassinate all the top Soviet officials. And so immediately it started off with 37 doctors being rounded up and literally it spread all throughout the Russian um, uh, empire, the country, and thousands of Jewish people were rounded up, arrested, and many of them executed. At the same time, because there was such a fear of the Jewish people, if you were a Jewish person, you lost your job and you were fired because they didn't want to have you next to it. Stalin even went as far as he called the governor of Ukraine and he says, what you need to do is that you need to give all of your good workers clubs so they could beat the out of all the Jewish people around. I mean, literally, he was trying to stir up all kinds of things. Finally, 
he got so convinced that there was a great Jewish plot and some of the Jewish Soviets were asking Stalin, please don't kill us all, please don't kill us all, come up with a different solution. And so he said, fine. He set up four consecration camps in Siberia. How many have heard of Siberia? It is not Hawaii. It's cold. It's horrible. It's where they send all their criminals. And they sent four consecration camps and they set it up and... Um, and he ordered, had sent an order to start preparing all the Jewish people to start be rounding up. And the Jewish people knew it was coming. One of the observers wrote later on, a Jewish observer said, I don't know what was more disturbing, hearing that the Russians were going to deport us, or that all the Jewish people were actually searching their things, wondering what can they bring with them to the camps in Siberia. That they realize there's nothing we can do. We're not going to fight against it. We're just going to gather up our stuff. And when they send us to the concentration camps, we're going. They already had just a defeatist attitude. We're going. Who's going to fight them? We're stuck. And once again, we come to a place like in Esther. We're going to die in Siberia. We're being rounded up. There's no way we can get out of this. We are stuck. And as Purim... Again, the holiday of Purim, 1953, guess who died? Joseph Stalin. A couple days before, he had a stroke. And because he had fired all the doctors and refused to be treated by a doctor, he died. If he had a doctor present, he could have easily been saved. Can't you see God was still working and still helping the Jewish people? Immediately afterwards, Khrushchev said, Hey, it was a big plot here. It was all Stalin's fault. He was lying. There was not really a Jewish plot. Look here. And they have all kinds of documentation that said, Hey, it was all Stalin's idea. It wasn't us. They tore down the concentration camps. The Jewish people were allowed to have their freedom once again and be reestablished in Russian society. That God once again had delivered His people on Purim. And I could give you illustration after illustration all throughout the Middle Ages where God delivered His people on the holiday of Purim. You see, God loves the Jewish people even to this day. But God also loves us. And there are times that we may feel we're we're just stuck. There's no way out. There's nothing we can do. We still have a God who's moving things in order. You know, was it a clot that killed Stalin? Or do you think God had something in behind it? you think God was moving and working? Well, if you're a Bible believer, we do believe that God was moving and working. He's using natural events. He's putting things in order. And God's putting things in order in your life as well. I want to show you one last thing about the book of Esther. Now, it's a little bit hard um, because we have an English version, but it's fine. We have what's called a tetragram. And... In Hebrew, they have no vowels, right? What, do we ha- what, what are our vowels in the English language? And sometimes what? Not. <laughs> yep, that's right. In the, in the Hebrew language, there is no vowel letters. They added vowel points later on, but it's all consonants. You would, you would automatically say the vowels names when you put it together. So when they spelt the name Yahweh or Jehovah, they would actually spell it with a Y or J, depending on English or, or Hebrew. A Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. 
When you see that, that is Yahweh. Remember, they don't use vowels, so it's all the consonants. They call it a tetragram. Now, remember, the word God or Lord is not found all throughout the book of Esther. But as you look now, again, I'm going to preface this. I don't believe in such a thing as Bible codes. The Da Vinci Code is an abomination of the Lord. It's unbiblical. It is unscientific. It does not work. It, there's no such thing as Bible codes. This is not a Bible code, but it's interesting. Remember, it's all consonants. There are five times in important parts of the book of Esther in Hebrew where you see those consonants put together. Sometimes they're at the end of a word and beginning of a word and they match together. It's just one of those gee whiz things. But five times in the background, you see the name of God hidden in the book of Esther. And again, in Hebrew, it doesn't so much translate in English. But again... The whole point of this whole thing in the book of Esther, the whole theme of it, is that even though God's name is not mentioned, even though God is not seen, we know His hand is moving things in the background. God is always at work. And God hasn't stopped working. The same God who delivered the Jews can deliver you from the troubles you're going through. The same God who's watching over Esther and Mordecai And all those in the Persian Empire is the same God who's watching over us today. And you may come to a place where you say, there's no way out. I'm stuck. I'm helpless. I'm going to die. I'm going to crush. I don't have any other hope. I'm stuck. Right at the last moment sometimes, God's going to crack it wide open and give you deliverance. And you're going to just say, what a God. What a God. Which brings us back to the Feast of Purim. Do you know it was set aside a day year after year to set as a reminder that God delivers? Because they don't want to forget God is working. We need reminders that God is working. One of the number one ways you could do it is when God does deliver you. You shout about it. Tell someone about it. Guess what God did for me? Guess what He did? He delivered us. We had no hope out. There was nothing we can do. We were stuck. And God did it. You know, Brother Dwight had prayed earlier. We're seeing victories. Sometimes we're seeing victories every day around this church. It is amazing. The other day, we signed the papers with the bank. We're official. Our loan has now gone to $1,902 every month. I mean, we can afford that. That is something our church can do. And then we also have the option in two years, they're going to relook at things and say if we're like really collapsing, they're going to look at it again and see how they can help. Because they don't want to take away our building. We're seeing victories. We're seeing victories in lives of families. We're seeing victories in the lives of people that God is changing. God is moving. God is giving deliverance. God is helping out. God is bringing things that we didn't even see was coming. By the way, we never sought the banker. The banker came to us. God is able to deliver. You know, every time we went to the banker, he told us no. Finally, when he came to us, he said, let me help you. Okay, sure. God will do things. You keep looking up. You keep looking up. And sometimes when you feel like, I can't even see God. I can't even sense God. I feel like I'm in the dark. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. Because He's going to crack it open. And you're going to say, Woohoo! 
Woo! Yes! Woo! Run around the building a couple times. Flush toilets every time. I mean, just, just excited. Just happy. And there's nothing wrong with shouting and being excited. Hey, you shout for a ball game. You'll shout when something else happens. You can shout in church. You can be excited about what God has done. You need to let God know. You know, when you stop thanking God for the victories, maybe He'll stop giving you victories. You need to be excited about what God's done. Be thankful. Count your blessings. We have a wonderful God. And you know what God wants? He wants the praise. He wants us to say, you're a good God. You're a good God. He is a good God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.